On day one, there were two people with it, and then there were four, and then it was 16, and you think you've got it in front of you. But next it's 256, and then it's 65,000, and it's behind you and above you and all around you. In 30 steps, it's a billion sick. Three months. It's a math problem you can do on a napkin, and that's where we're headed. Welcome to Now Playing's review of Contagion. For every person who gets sick, how many other people are they likely to infect? Part of the Now Playing Viral Outbreak movie review series. This flu stuff is really spooky. Hosted by Jacob. He said he was feeling very warm. Stuart. He said he had a headache, so I put him to bed. And Arnie. Have you been diagnosed yet? This podcast may contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. We can't even tell people right now what they should be afraid of. We tried that with swine flu and all we did was get healthy people scared. Listener discretion is advised. Well, in 1918, 1% of the population died from Spanish flu. It was novel, like this. No one had ever seen it before. 1% of America? 1% of the world. Discussing Contagion, starring Marion Cotillard, Matt Damon, Lawrence Fishburne, Jude Law, Gwyneth Paltrow, Kate Winslet, Brian Cranston, Jennifer Eel, directed by Steven Soderbergh. This is the now playing co-host who's been practicing social distancing since before it was cool, Arnie. And Stuart. From Los Angeles County, population 10 million. This is Jacob. And Stuart, you got some splaining to do. Underrated? The number one movie in the world right now? <laughs> Underrated? Things looked a whole lot different in 2014 when, yeah, we were compiling a list of movies to go into our now playing Underrated Movies book. And what I landed on was I saw this movie back in 2011, and it was a hit. It's worth pointing out it made $75 million. That's more or less what Outbreak did. It had good reviews. My shock was that nobody really respected it. Everyone just kind of like, yeah, it's just this kind of zombie movie, whatever. I'm like, where are the Oscar nominations? Why isn't this movie across the board getting super acclaim? It was one of my favorites of that year. And to hear people dismiss it, it was like Soderbergh was just redoing traffic to lesser effect. You know, he had won the Oscar in 2000 for chronicling the drug traffic trade over the Mexican border in a very similar manner to the way that the virus is tracked in this movie. And I think people were just over it. And so they were like, we're not impressed so the artist wins best picture and bridesmaids gets nominated for best original screenplay but this movie got shafted it got no love to me that just felt wrong now of course <laughs> yes. yeah did Nostradamus write this screenplay because man they nailed it seriously obviously everyone has to give some props just for its foresight into how much it looks at pandemics I mean we've been covering series now this is what our seventh installment whether you like this movie or not I don't think that any other film in our retrospective has the breadth to look at the global perspective this movie is going to take on in under two hours, I want to point out. In a very swift amount of time, it's really going to look at how pandemics work with a very big cast. I think that used to be the fun of it. I do remember a lot of people, another thing that they would say is not only is it a traffic ripoff, but it's kind of like one of those old 70s disaster movies where you get all the stars together and the fun is who's going to live, who's going to die. Oh my God, I didn't see Gwyneth Paltrow biting it. 
Well, he may not have won an Oscar, but I do believe this movie is the reason why Steven Soderbergh is currently the man in charge of reopening Hollywood. He is leading the commission on when it will be safe and what practices need to be put in place in order for film production to resume. And you have to just think that people in Hollywood were sitting around, and I have to believe half the people in Hollywood don't know reality from movies and are like, Soderbergh did Contagion, we're living it, get him! Yeah, but I mean, again, this movie is very smart. This is someone that thought about the issues a lot. Maybe they should also include the screenwriter, Scott Burns. He is probably the person we should give more credit to because he came up with all of these scenarios. They were making The Informant together and... Burns was just like, what if we throw in a pandemic? You know, like he was just thinking about his next movie and Soderbergh was like, well, write me up something. And yeah, this original script, all of it is credited to the guy that mostly is known for spy movies. He did the third Bourne film. He's going to do the new James Bond movie, No Time to Die, whenever we get to see it. So yeah, these guys look like they know what they're talking about. Yes, <laughs> their bona fides are they made a movie. Maybe that doesn't qualify <laughs> them to know when Hollywood can open and how best to clean the sets so that people can work there safely. But I get it. These guys earn it because this movie has that cred. Yeah, they're going to talk about social distancing in this movie nine years before it became a buzzword. I couldn't believe it. I mean, I've seen this movie before, and I remember finding certain parallels in real life to this movie. But yeah, the terms it uses are now the terms that are, I feel like we're living in Pee Wee's Playhouse where I need to take a shot every time somebody says social distancing. It's an overused buzz term. But this movie has regained such popularity. I picked it up on iTunes. And when I put it on, there was a special message from the stars regarding COVID-19. Did either of you see that? No. It's a new bonus feature that has Matt Damon, Kate Winslet, Jennifer Eel, and Lawrence Fishburne all filming themselves on their cell phones, telling people, you know, Matt Damon is there to discuss the importance of social distancing. Then we go to Kate Winslet, and she talks about the importance of washing your hands, and that she underwent training to learn how soap works, and she's describing how the soap molecules bond with the water molecules, bond with the dirt molecules, and also told me something I didn't know. When you use disinfectant on a counter, you're supposed to spray it there and leave it for four minutes. It takes four minutes for disinfectant to actually disinfect and then wipe it down. It was educational. Jennifer Eel was there to say, listen to doctors and not other voices, no matter how loud they may be. And then Lawrence Fishburne came in to recap everything and do his little handshake speech. And then he says in the movie, handshakes were so that you show you don't have a weapon to somebody in old days. But COVID is a weapon any of us may have on our hands. So they got back together because Contagion was the number one movie on iTunes. And they're like, we saw people were watching this. So we want to educate you on COVID and fact versus fiction. Hey, it's profit with a PH and it's a profit with an F. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think they saw some money to be able to go back to the till and resell this movie again. You know, the one thing I hope listeners take away from us going decade by decade through all the virus films is that this really isn't unprecedented. 
we hear that term all the time, unprecedented times. Some of it is, I agree. Some of it is like nothing I've lived through, but viruses are always close at hand. We actually ought to feel lucky that we grew up in a time of vaccination because most of mankind has been dealing with this shit. Plague has been a part of their daily life and their ongoing fears for as long as man has been on earth. And even in the last decade, again, that's what blew my mind about contagion. Like why were people ignoring this or dismissing it as science fiction? 2009, we had H1N1. 2014, Ebola got to Texas. 2016, remember the Zika babies? Yep. Yep. We still got problems with them. We're monitoring those children to see how they're doing. We still don't know. And the terrifying thing is that, yes, we were worried about the children that had malformed heads after their moms got bit by mosquitoes, but they're finding out now that there were children that didn't have physical abnormalities that are also having developmental problems. So the problem on that one, we're still calculating. So disease is here and and let it not go unnoticed that the 19 in COVID-19 stands for 2019. We're capping this decade with, yes, the virus that made us pay attention to contagion. At last, finally, it took all of this for people finally to respect this great film. Stuart, you mentioned people might have thought this was like a zombie movie. That's kind of what I thought it was. I didn't have to watch it to review for the book. So I've had this movie in my head, which I mixed up with this one. It came out three years earlier, though. Quarantine. I don't know if you've seen that, but it looks like a found footage movie with people stuck in an apartment with zombies or something. It looks stupid. It's actually a remake of a Spanish film, Rec. If you know the Rec series, R-E-C, it means record because it's all shot on a handheld video recorder. Yeah, it's definitely a zombie movie. Yeah, but this one, you know why I missed this one? I looked it up. I was moving halfway across the country in 2011, and the month this came out, September. So movies were off my radar during a major move like that. So yeah, I just never got around to seeing it, and I know it was in the book. I always think it was quarantine for all these years, but it's not, thankfully. And I saw it back when it was new on video. I don't understand why people would think it's a zombie movie. I knew what I was in for, but it had an A-list cast. I didn't know it was Steven Soderbergh, but it was a night I was home and looking for something to watch. We ended up renting it on iTunes, and yeah, I liked this movie immediately. That's part of the reason why I was anxious to jump on it for the book is because I loved this movie back then, but I never thought I'd watch it again or have to revisit it. Well, Arnie, I'm excited to get into this. Tell me what happens in Contagion. Let's break this movie down. Contagion tells the story of the world when a virus called MEV1 creates a global pandemic. It's highly contagious, with each infected person passing the disease to four others, and it has a 25% mortality rate. Patient zero for this is Beth Emhoff, played by Gwyneth Paltrow. She'd been in Hong Kong on business, but stopped in Chicago for an extramarital affair before returning to her family in Minneapolis. When she gets home, she's sick, but it progresses quickly and she dies, as does her son. Her husband Mitch, played by Matt Damon, is put in quarantine, but is seemingly immune to this disease. The investigation into the new virus is led by CDC Dr. Ellis Cheever, played by Lawrence Fishburne. He sends Dr. Aaron Mears, played by Kate Winslet, to Minneapolis to investigate the illness. She discovers Beth was patient zero, but catches the disease and dies. The plague spreads quickly and society starts to break down with looting and violence, partially stoked by internet conspiracy theories, such as one started by blogger Alan Krumweed, played by Jude Law. He fakes having the disease and recovering thanks to a homeopathic drug, which causes riots from people trying to find the snake oil. After several months, Dr. Ali Hextall, played by Jennifer Eel, develops a vaccine for the virus. 
To speed up testing and approval, she injects herself, then exposes herself to the MEV-1. She discovers the vaccine works, and the U.S. government starts to use a lotto system to determine who gets vaccinated with the first batches as credits roll. Now, there's a lot more personal stories here, but it's all wrapped up around the story of the virus. And I think this movie does a good job focusing on the virus. We've talked in these other films like Outbreak. The bad guy ends up being a nuke that might be dropped on the city. It's just hard to visualize this little bug attacking you. But I really like the way this film is shot right at the beginning, lingering on door handles, surface counters, the way it's showing populations in all these cities. I feel like I could, if that's a category on Jeopardy next week, I can nail it with all the <laughs> car titles, with populations and cities. But I felt like that was a really effective way to make this bad guy. I mean, there's other villainous characters, but the make that bad guy, that virus, and a way to put that in a visual manner. Yeah, that was always Michael Crichton's idea. Like, who cares who these scientists are? We're trying to understand and profile a disease so that was the only character that he cared about in andromeda strain here i think they're taking that concept and they're running with it and we are tracking it and yet we also have someone that's going to insert a lot of good storylines starting with yeah patient zero gwyneth paltrow and when i started watching this movie the first time years ago if the movie starts with gwyneth I figure she's the star of the movie, right? I mean, she was a big star. She was still working more back then. And she, as far as I could tell, was top billed. I thought I was here to watch a Gwyneth movie. So the opening of this film shocked the hell out of me. Yeah, there were audible gasps in the theater when they peel back her scalp for the, even after we're told that she's dead, we haven't seen the body, but when we peel back and see like brain matter and all of that, like, yeah, like it's just not how we think of Gwyneth Paltrow. Like she's young, she's vivacious. It, it was a very goopy scene. Yeah, maybe they're applying her goop to cure it. <laughs> maybe if she'd steamed her vagina, she would have stayed healthy. <laughs> Sorry, Gwyneth, you brought this on yourself. <laughs> but notice we're starting on day two. I think another interesting thing about this movie is it's built around a mystery. You may forget about it. I do. But it's built around the mystery that we really don't know what happened on day one to her. It will take the whole movie to find out how she contracts this virus. On day two, she's starting to show signs, but she's still pretty healthy. Healthy enough for some extramarital sex in a Chicago layover. Don't you remember what I said during the Outbreak podcast? Some people find it hot if you say, infect me. Yeah, well, I mean, again, I don't <laughs> think he was asking for this. I don't think anybody would ask for Mev 1 here, but... Yeah, I really just love the way that the scene unfolds. Again, it's just so smart about, okay, here's a woman. She's coughing. The first thing we hear, coughing. We know this is a virus movie. Okay, so we know Gwyneth is sick. And then her cell phone rings. She smiles and she picks it up. We see a wedding ring. Okay. But then we hear this talk about, like, use the private line. Oh, that ain't her husband. Like, we're learning a lot of information really fast. Even though we're not going to spend a lot of time with Gwyneth, I do feel like I kind of get to know her. Yeah, I think they're going to be pretty efficient in their storytelling here, which is helpful when it's such a big ensemble type of cast and you're going to have five or six different storylines going on. They deliver, yeah, all the backstory you need, all the information you need very effectively, quickly, but I never feel lost. I never feel lost, but I got to say, her story about the extramarital affair does feel underserved. We're going to see a scene with her mother later on consoling Matt Damon playing her husband and being like, 
well, she wasn't perfect, but she loved you. We knew that. And I feel that there was more relationship drama brought up by her stopping for a layover than was really needed for this movie. That's the thing. I feel like you could break this out into, again, five or six different films. You could have that point of view of what does this do to relationship when you find out your loved one had an affair because they died of a infectious disease. Like, that's a whole movie right there. Yeah, but again, I just like the teasing. It reminds me kind of a Closer. We talked in the structure of that movie how they'll have huge gaps. I mean, here, this whole thing takes place in about a month. It's from Thanksgiving to Christmas. But we'll drop in and out of characters' lives, and it feels like lots have changed since the last time we've seen them. I like the way that just a little snap of dialogue will tease ideas here. Like, what I really get the sense is that they're having relationship problems anyway. The fact that Matt Damon is not going to be as broken up as you might think someone playing a character that loses his wife and, well, it's a stepson in the same day, you would think that that would be so many tears, so much emotion. And the fact that he isn't is, I think, telling about how out of the relationship he might have already been. Two watchings, I didn't catch that was a stepson. So is it his daughter and her son in that yes. in a marriage? Yep. Clark is not his. Yeah, it feels like the daughter is living with the mom, but she comes to visit him. That explains why he doesn't spend the rest of the movie in tears then. Because I did think both times, I'm like, well, he kind of got over the death of this wife and son pretty quick. I mean, the wife cheated on him, but what did that son do? That is... All right, so it was a stepson. That's, you know, it's specifically the Gwyneth Matt Damon storyline where I feel there could have been more service paid. I think everybody else gets exactly what they need because the rest of this movie is going to focus on scientists or a pseudo-journalist who all, their entire storylines are reactionary to this disease. But with Matt Damon and Gwyneth Paltrow's family, what you have there are the everyday person, and by bringing in personal dramas and previous marriages and all of this, it feels they get a little bit short shrift. Yeah, but so much of this is going to be scientist, and we talked about all that kind of stuff with the Andromeda strain. I'm glad we have more of a common man point of view in this pandemic that we're going to watch. So I'm fine with what we see with Matt Damon's character. And I think everyone is linked, not only because they're all contracting and dealing with a pandemic, but also because it's all about moral lapses. Here's the first one. It's the one that's most obvious, the most common one. Someone stepped out on a relationship. We all have opinions about how that goes. But all of these characters... There is no heroes in this world. We might like to think that the public health officials are the do-gooders, but in fact, I think we'll see a lot of people make choices that are sketchy, and sometimes it pays out for them, and sometimes it doesn't. And you know, I've always had this theory about why our culture is so pro-monogamy is because of STDs, right? Like back in ancient times when we didn't have good prophylactics, if you stepped out, you were known as someone that is going to spread sickness. And so they became a bad person for that reason. Morality was really shaped out of medical necessity. I don't really judge. I don't know enough about their relationship to know that she's wrong in this. I don't sit there. I mean, I think some people are going to be like, good, Gwyneth, we hate you anyway. And you stepped out and you <laughs> die. But I don't feel like that's the morality of this movie at all. No, because we're going to see a bunch of people die at the beginning here, and they're all people that came into contact with her, a Tokyo businessman, a guy in Hong Kong that just delivering food or something. 
this movie is very good in not following that horror movie cliche of the bad people die, and it shows that a virus is indiscriminate. Good people die, bad people die, all people die. I guess I would just quantify that she's not really a bad person in my mind. I don't know whether she was wrong to step... Obviously, cheating on your partner is not a great thing, but again, they seem like a couple that's in trouble, and who knows what he's doing. There's a lot of projection there. None of that's in the movie. No, well, I mean, all movies are projection. It's called reading between the lines. It's something I love to do, and it's something that this movie allows for a lot because of the way it's going to skip around. But you're right, we're here for a medical mystery. If she's getting sick and bringing it home, why are all these other people getting sick and dying as well? Jacob, you mentioned Hong Kong. Lee Fi is, yeah, a guy on a ferry. We don't know his story. It will take a while to figure out that he is a busboy. And we do see a glimpse of him. He's going through what looks like a wet market over there in Hong Kong. And, you know, a lot of controversy about those right now. Yeah, and walks into traffic. They can't get a handle on what... They could have probably gotten there faster if they had actually been able to get him, quarantine him, check him out, find out his story, but things get delayed. Yeah, I figured that's why they didn't get that information as fast, because they just took it as, oh, someone who got hit by a car and maybe didn't do that autopsy and really look into it. Right. And then meanwhile, we're in London, and this Ukrainian model is just all of a sudden, like, falling over at a swanky hotel. I love the detail. Again, this movie is about great little details. Dirty feet. You know, as vain as you want to be and as perfect as you want to present your body. Like, the fact that we end up with, like, just a close-up of, like, her dirty feet. Just, I don't know. It says (laughs) a lot to me about the indignity of death. To me, I just love the fact that because, as you said, we're starting with close-ups of Gwyneth Paltrow handing somebody a credit card and things. And it's just because I know what movie I'm in and because of the world I'm living in today, I can practically see physical germs on that card. The fact that it spreads to all these other people, I couldn't remember how they all did trace back to her. I wasn't sure we'd even find out how they all traced back for sure because she's traveling. That's like the worst thing with the pandemic is travel because you're going to spread it to other people. We have one major clue, I think. As she's pulling home into Minnesota, she's signing a contract for AIM Alderson. And when we see this guy coming home to Tokyo and dying on a bus, he also has the same literature. He is also an employee or someone that is dealing with this international company. Yeah, I picked up on that international company and I kept waiting for that to come back. It will finally. We'll get to there in the very end of this film. But it is something I did notice that that AIM Alderson seemed to connect this initial group. Do we know what that business is? Tearing down rainforest in China? I mean, it's an international company. It is something that probably has its tentacles in lots of different things. I think that's kind of what they're implying. It's nebulous. And like a virus, it spreads everywhere. What I love about this guy is like, it's just how I fear I'm going to go. Like, I'm in public. I fall over. I obviously need help. And what do people do? Pull out their cell phone. They're going to videotape it. And that video footage is going to go viral. It's going to get picked up by this creepy blogger character. It's going to end up on Alex Jones. Yes. Yeah. Is that what Jude Law is? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, Alex Jones just had a tirade the other day how he's ready to eat his neighbors if we run out of food and gut them and and string them up and cannibalize them. Definitely this Allen character. Yeah, this is that wild conspiracy fringe that exists on the Internet. I absolutely love that he's a blogger. We have one of the scientists. Blogging isn't journalism. It's graffiti with punctuation. 
And you get that sentiment because, like, what's his first thought? He sees a video of a man dying, and he's like, this has to be related to the fish industry. Like, his mind is always going to conspiracy. He will never presume the best intentions about anything. There always has to be an underside. There always has to be something that needs to be exposed. And he's going to the print journalist contact that he has at the San Francisco Chronicle. And she, maybe like we, are like, your teeth are nasty and you're weird. Get out of here. I don't buy it yet. But when we actually get Gwyneth Paltrow's death, it is kind of like the Matt Damon moment. Like, it takes a moment to sink in of like, what are you talking about? Like, she was just here. She's one of our stars. How can you dismiss her this way? It sets everyone off balance. I think is correct in that now we no longer think of this movie as star-driven. We're suddenly without an anchor for the rest of the film. She won't be in a basement laboratory in Arizona being diagnosed by eggheads. You know, it's not the Andromeda strain. Yeah, and with that autopsy scene, we talked about how they're peeling her flesh from the skull. And yeah, it's there on the screen, but it's not really played at a gross-out moment. The, the real horror comes from the reaction when they're like, move away from the table, call everyone. <laughs> I'm like, oh, damn, Like that's a great moment. This might have seemed like a thriller in 2011. It straight up plays as horror now. To me, it's always horror to have an autopsy like that. I mean, you've got Gwyneth Paltrow there. Her tongue is like protruding from her lips a little bit because there's no dignity in death. And the fact that they're doing this autopsy, I have a personal experience regard. I have a couple personal experiences regarding autopsy on both the familial side and then the coroner side. And it's just so disgusting. All parts of death, embalming all of it, just really piss me off. And so just seeing anybody, whether she runs goop or not, getting her skull peeled back like that is so frightening. Okay, I was wondering, because again, I sense you guys are not pro-Paltrow in general. I Maybe I'm wrong with that. Maybe you love goop, but... No, that's not playing... You know, I feel bad for her character. That scene where... Mitch, Matt Damon's character, is told she's died. That's an awful scene. And then he's driving home, gets a call that his stepson's dead. Like, I don't hold goop against her in this movie, but I do think it's funny. I didn't think that scene played very well where the doctor told Matt Damon, your wife is dead. And he goes, well, can I talk to her? Oh, I love that. The total denial he was in. I'm guessing that that's probably really happened. Maybe it happens a lot. But to me, it felt like it was supposed to be a funny line. But again, minor quibble. Yeah, to me, it means he's not hearing anything. He's like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not really listening to you. Can I see my wife now? Like, that's where his mind is at. He can't even begin to process that this little thing that she just had a cold, right? She fell over making coffee. All right, the seizure was a little frightening, but no one knew what the stakes were. But the CDC is now on the case. The brain is being transferred over to Jennifer Eel's character, who was actually one of my favorites in this movie, kind of an unsung I don't know if she's a hero. She will do some unethical things here. But I love the fact that, like, her co-worker's like, yeah, how was your Thanksgiving? Great. I studied salmonella outbreak in Texas. Like, she's just <laughs> all business. Are you talking about her lab partner, the comedian Dimitri Martin? That was weird. Office talk, right? Water cooler stuff. I want to connect to you. How was your holiday? And she's talking about salmonella. You get the idea, like, she's tunnel-focused. She only cares about her job. And she's going to be the one to break down the properties of this virus. She's going to name it the MEV-1. She's going to figure out it's both bat and pig, attacks the central nervous system and the respiratory. She's got all the sciencey stuff that comes from her exploring it. Yeah, and I can't follow all the science, kind of like Andromeda strain. I don't know exactly how she figures out it's a bat-pig disease, but 
they explain it in terms where I can follow what she's discovering without understanding exactly how she gets there. And that's what I'd say is by having a group of scientists that we start to get introduced to, and all of whom are specialists, this does feel more like Andromeda Strain than any other film we've reviewed recently, but they also do a good job of humanizing these people better through stories like you talked about, about the break and the salmonella. Yeah, I think the important part of that is like suddenly we have in our vision a bat and a pig. Well, how the hell do they get together? Again, it's all building towards the big reveal at the end of this movie that a bat and a pig are going to come together in a really bad way. But how would that happen? Well, we'll see a dramatization. Meanwhile, the WHO is also on the case. Very different from the CDC. It's international. This is Switzerland. We get Dr. Arantes, Marianne Cotillard. She is going to go to Hong Kong and try to trace where all this went to. She thinks, okay, I get there and they're telling me it's, we've used SARS protocol and it's all like localized in this housing complex where this busboy lived. No problem. Never mind the fact that his girlfriend has left with the ashes and died on a bus and <laughs> never mind the fact in a densely populated city like Hong Kong, there's no containing it to one building. Everyone's going to get infected. She knows that. She will really be the one to go through all the video footage and figure out all of these characters that we've seen in the opening montage were at a hotel in Macau. And that's not Hong Kong. That's across the bay. It's another casino town like Hong Kong, but under different rule. Like it was the Portuguese while the English had Hong Kong. I love the fact that it's never easy to figure this stuff out. This movie draws the line that it's never just going to be in one location with a simple answer. There's always these complexities and that the fact that this busboy had to take a ferry and then take all this public transportation to get to his apartment complex in Hong Kong. But had to work for economic reasons over in Macau. That's the world we live in, right? Everything is complicated and everything is about passing through hundreds of different hands. And it just shows how susceptible we are as a society by moving this quickly and being this densely populated. Yeah, I think it dramatizes in a different way. But you look at, again, what's going on now with globalization. We don't make masks in America. We don't make respirators here. Part of that's made in China. Part of it's made in Singapore. Like it's made all over the world. And when the whole world shuts down, you can't get that stuff. So I think this is a nice little way to just demonstrate that globalization that, yeah, it's people having to cross the bay to get to work and then come back and then travel to different cities. Like, this is a global problem because of globalization and people are freer to move around and we don't have to produce everything. We have other countries that could do that. So, again, it's not going to get into all those little details, but it's just a nice little glimpse that they have here. And what brings them together? But a casino. I like that, too. Like, that's the great equalizer that, yeah, this guy would be bussing the tables and business meetings with Japanese people and Ukrainian models and Gwyneth Paltrow from Minnesota would all be here to be infected. But this character you brought up, Dr. Orantes, she seems forgotten, at least by me, for a large period of the movie. She's really important here as they start to investigate this and watch the video from the casino and try to follow where that transferred from or to. But she is going to drop out for most of the second half of this film. Yeah, and when they pick up with her, I don't like her storyline. Like, you just have her inspecting stuff in China. Like, I was into that, and then where it goes, not so much. I like her storyline, but I agree. She is one of the lesser prominent. I think one that always stuck with me is Kate Winslet. I just like her as an actress. And her story really tugs at the heartstrings. 
she's going to be the one to go to Minnesota and try and see what happened at Gwyneth Paltrow's company and with her ex-husband, and it's going to cost her life. Shouldn't these people be wearing masks? I mean, I wouldn't have thought this in 2011. But today, we see so many people out with masks, and COVID is nowhere near as fatal as this MEV1. So I'm like, if she's out there investigating and interviewing people who know the ones who have the disease, shouldn't she be wearing gloves, a mask, if not a full bunny suit? Well, that's kind of the, I wouldn't call it a joke, but that's what kind of makes me laugh is, yeah, she starts there and the guy that meets her is like, do you even have enough clothes? Like, this is Minnesota. It's cold. Like, you, she showed up kind of unprepared is the way I take it. She didn't really know what she was stepping into. It's easy to see from the larger perspective, oh my God, you need to be really worried about this. But she just, just thinks it's an outbreak. These happen all the time. Yeah, they talk about this R not the reproduction rate of the virus. They don't even know what it is at this point. You know, they talk about the flu as a one, smallpox a three. They don't know how fast this is going to really spread. And yeah, it does like today. Well, I don't know. Again, our president went to a mask factory, didn't wear a mask while everyone else was. So not everyone has gotten the message. And, and in 2011, I guess they didn't anticipate that. I mean, it's even in the dialogue. She's meeting with locals and they're like, we don't want to scare the public. And she has that great line about what is scared. You put a plastic shark in a movie and everyone's afraid of the ocean, but you put cancer warnings on cigarettes and people still smoke. So at this point, it's hard to quantify how worried they should be. But by the time she's met Mitch, Matt Damon, she is in full PPE. I mean, she's all decked out by that point. She has <laughs> figured out too late, unfortunately, that, yeah, this thing is really super scary. And she is in over her head, really. Given that she worked for the CDC, I just felt like she should be ahead of the curve on that one. That's why I bring it up. It, you know, normal people would never do that. But if you work at the CDC and you know you're investigating a fatal illness, I just thought she'd be a little bit ahead. I, I was just shocked that her storyline's going to go to her getting sick and actually dying of this. All I will say is you might be surprised about this in real life. I was very surprised to see people in my own dad's own life that studied sexually transmitted diseases making the choices they did. I'll just leave it at that. But yes, sometimes you can be disconnected from your own message. You can think, oh yes, we need to track this virus and not be personally protecting yourself. Well, if you're investigating STDs, maybe you're just constantly talking to loose individuals and finding opportunities there. I mean, it might not be they're not listening to their own message. It might be causation, not correlation. Yeah. I just like Kate Winslet here because she is like the one character that I think is like genuinely always thinking about others. I mean, when she gets a cough, the first thing she's doing is calling the hotel and being like, warn everyone that has serviced this room. I'm always thinking about like who I could have infected and not worried about myself. Again, a very scary scene. Like, I need to know everyone who serviced my room. I need to know who's been working at the front desk that I've come into contact with. Because she does, look, maybe she wasn't smart enough to wear a mask right away, but she understands the severity of what is going on. And yeah, she's trying to warn everyone she's touched. I do like her in this movie. I think Kate Winslet is really good here. She's usually pretty good. Every so often I have a problem with one of her performances. But here, I really like what she's doing. I like the authority she carries. And I do like her sympathy through the end. 
Yeah, I mean, there's just, again, a lot of irony in the fact that, like, she's the one commandeering, like, stadiums and stuff, which, I mean, right now, like, we're seeing, yes, public places that used to be purely for entertainment and sports and what have you become new hospitals. She's doing that here in the movie, and she will end up being one of their first patients. It's just really, really sad. And the guy that she met is going to bring flowers to the open grave where they end up putting her. She's in, like, a blue trash bag yeah they're out of body bags yeah it's just so undignified like there's something about that just makes me hurt so much to know that she had no one other than this guy she just met at her funeral being buried with hundreds of others in a garbage bag yeah mass graves which are a thing that are going on again they got so much right Going back to Matt Damon, like when he wants to bury his wife and stepson, the funeral home won't take him. And you you read stories now about funeral homes just throwing bodies into U-Hauls because they have no way of processing them. They don't want to touch them. Like so much of this, they did get right. The infighting with the local government with Kate Winslet's character. I wish there was more of that. Yeah, I just wanted to point out that at the time, a lot of this might have seemed extraordinarily overblown. You might have watched this and been like, this is Hollywood. Oh, we're out of body bags. Oh, this is Hollywood. We're going to have to take buildings and repurpose them into hospitals. It's amazing how quick the thought of that's something in the movies turned into that's something we're really doing. Yeah. And one of the things I thought when I saw this movie and then they quickly answer is that, yeah, I thought once you survive or you're immune to some kind of infection, you become part of the cure. I thought Mitch... Matt Damon would be the answer. Like his wife was the cause and he is the answer to all these problems. But it is Kate Winslet to explain that no, blood serum, it takes too long. It's not that it wouldn't work, but we're trying to solve a problem that's breaking out every hour matters. In order to use your blood for some kind of cure, it would take a year or more. And with Matt Damon, we spend quite a bit of time with him. Again, he's the everyman character and he does have this daughter who... Before it's even mentioned on the news that he starts social distancing and quarantining at home. He won't let her go see her boyfriend who's bringing flowers. He won't open the door. Well, I'll just leave the flowers here. No, don't leave the flowers. Take them with you. I thought that was a funny line. Yeah. Uh, And very real feeling right now. The one thing I'm going to judge him on, he won't wear a mask. He keeps thinking, I'm not infected, so like it doesn't matter. I'm not going to get it. But of course, we all now know we don't wear masks to protect ourselves. We wear masks to protect other people. We don't want our spit to be spreaders. So like, bad on you, Mitch. Put on a mask. <laughs> but yes, the protective everyman story. This is a, if you know nothing about viruses and don't want to, here's a storyline that you're going to care about because it's about a father trying to keep his daughter alive. He's immune, but there's no telling whether she has his genetics. And so we just don't know whether she can die of MEV1 or not. And it does start to feel zombie to me when they go grocery shopping and suddenly the looters and all of that. I mean, within a matter of days, I think by day 26 of this thing, we're starting to see people that may not be living dead, but they're like rage virus monsters. I mean, I am afraid of them. Yeah, society does break down pretty quick in this movie. Maybe that's the one thing they didn't quite get right. Well, this is more deadly than COVID-19. I mean, if people were dying at this rate, again, this is a fatality rate of 20 to 30 percent. COVID is three. And the thing is, we're already kind of seeing that after 30 days of having to stay indoors, like people are getting shot because they're demanding other people wear masks. We do start to see this, like people don't want to change to this new normal of just try not to infect other people. So it breaks down very quickly, but I think it works for a movie 
like, I guess this could take place over a longer period of time, but I like how immediate it feels. I don't like the fact that we can actually judge the realism of this movie now. I don't like that we can be like, well, you know, the government didn't come forward fast enough with social distancing guidelines and PPE and shelter in place stuff. Because what happens in this movie, we just get one line, the president is hiding underground in a bunker. You know, he just decides to get the hell away and stay healthy for the sake of the government. And yes, there's a lot more looting. And here I am thinking we had shortages of toilet paper. Now we're having shortages of meat. But I have yet to see lootings take place because that person got the last rack of beef. It's a matter of time. Yeah, I, again, I think because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean that that is in our future. I mean, that is something that I genuinely worry about in the next six months. Oh, no, when this all started to happen, like, we started coming up with plans. What if someone breaks in and, and wants to raid our house for food? Those were definitely contingency plans we came up with. We were shopping for guns. Yeah, it takes too long to get one in California. That's the problem, <laughs> or else I would have one. Well, this isn't a traditional three-act structure, but I do think the middle of this movie, the act two, if you were, is all about ethical lapses. All of the characters that we're watching in the beginning here are going to make choices that are questionable. Again, it started with Gwyneth Paltrow. Well, the funeral home's not going to bury her. But the next person that I think makes a choice that does work is Elliot Gould. We have the CDC, and at the top of that, that's Lawrence Fishburne. He makes all the choices, and he says... Only level four labs can work on something this dangerous or otherwise it goes out the door on a shoe or a contact lens. If you're warning sign, right? It can get out if we don't take the proper safety precautions. They talk about not touching your face in this. Yeah. So he just shuts down the idea that anyone that's not level four, Jennifer Eel, basically, nobody else can touch this stuff. But over in San Francisco, Elliot Gould, Dr. Sussman is close to an answer and he makes the choice like, look. I'm just going to keep working. I'm not going to burn my samples, even though I was directed to. And I'm going to figure out how to grow this so that we, we can't even treat it for a cure until we can grow it on other cells. The problem is this virus is so deadly, it kills every cell it comes into contact with. He's the guy that figures out how to keep the cell alive in order for them to start working on a vaccination. And he only does this because he broke ethical protocol. And he could have broken more ethics. They point out when he takes this to the CDC and Lawrence Fishburne's like, why is he still working on it? They said he could have sold this to the highest bidder and he probably has already had offers. He's bringing it to us for free. And yet Lawrence Fishburne is still mad like he's going to publish. You know, that's why that's those academics. They always do worry about who gets the credit, who gets to put their name on the article in the journal. Like that just made me laugh. Another big ethical lapse, a bigger one, I would say, is Arantis. You say she's not in it much, but she is in an ethical lapse of such. She has this assistant in Hong Kong, Sun Feng, who happens to mention that his mother's village has got the outbreak of MEV1 as well and not getting any help. And he's heard that the Americans and the French, she's French, have a cure they're keeping secret. And he's getting more and more mad as she concludes, oh, yeah, it's all China's fault. I'm going to go take this back to Switzerland and tell them how awful China is. He's like, no, no, no. I'm going to kidnap you. Again, the parallels of blaming China for the disease were not lost on me. But neither was the fact that this assistant is way too villainous. As soon as he mentioned his mother had the disease, my first thought is, is he close to his mother? Will he have the disease? Is he going to give this to Dr. Arantes? 
But then as it went on and he started doing these looks at sidelong glances, I'm like, I I see where this is going to go. Oh, see, I didn't see where it was going. I didn't expect a hostage kidnapping storyline in this where yeah, she's going to be held hostage for whenever the vaccine is ready so his village could get it with all these kids that are there. Yeah, it's mentioned that the mother took Vorsythia and didn't survive. She's in a mass grave. And again, this movie, even though it has big characters, usually a film that's an ensemble finds ways to weave people together. Like all of a sudden, Kate Winslet would be over here mixing with this crew. They don't really do it that way. It's more subtle. It's more just like the thought of a mass grave here. And we think about, oh, over in Minneapolis and Kate Winslet. There are subtle connections and not that the cast of characters. I do think basically the people that worked on this film worked with one or two other people and never never met half the cast in this film. That was my thought exactly, is these people didn't get together till the rap party, and that's probably how you were able to get so many A-listers, is by having such a flexible schedule where you don't have to be like, okay, we need Matt Damon, Lawrence Fishburne, and Kate Winslet all here on the same day. Right. But yeah, he lost his mother, he's enraged, we do know that, I mean, we're not even talking about it yet. Right now we're talking about how it's affecting densely populated rich cities like New York, But yes, this is happening in third world locations. There are forgotten people that are being wiped out by all of this, maybe even at higher rates. How are we going to pay attention to them? Maybe it does take a gun in order for someone to care. So I kind of, you call him villainous, he's desperate. It's an ethical lapse. It's certainly not endorsable. And yet I understand it. Yeah, I might understand it. It just seems a little bit too far for this kind of film where I felt like they're really nailing the realism and this does seem a little more outbreaky to me to have a whole hostage storyline. And yet, I don't think it has those cliches. I mean, one thing that, that I've hated about all the other virus movies is if we need to make it exciting, let's have helicopters chasing each other or, or gunfights and throwing people out of the chopper into LA. Like It's exciting because of the way it's cut. It's exciting because your mind is working overtime watching this virus grow and grow and grow. It's the editing, I think, that the way it's put together. And I think the way Soderbergh shoots it, this director is also the one behind the camera. He usually shoots a lot of his own films personally. He always finds a way to make certain regions of the world a certain color hue that helps with some of the confusion as well. Is like, well, I know if it's blue, we're in Minnesota. And I also think an unsung hero of this movie is Cliff Martinez, Red Hot Chili Peppers drummer. He does the score for this, and it is a thumping beat that it feels a little techno. Yeah, I was going to say he just programmed a drum machine. It also has the rhythmic feel of a ticking clock. It creates tension in scenes that may not be. Yeah, to me, it's a beating heart, which you're going with, you know, people in life or death situations. It's just a way that uh, another sly way to keep that tension going. And I mentioned Vorsythia. This is the cure being promoted by Alan, who is going to do a huge ethical choice that I disagree with in that he has 12 million people that listen to him on his blog. So he is going to get in front of his webcam, take his temperature, put this miracle cure in a glass, drink it and pronounce that if I'm here tomorrow, you know it works. He also gets together with a hedge fund manager to like sell secrets to so they know where to put their stocks, which again, there are senators who allegedly, I guess I have to say allegedly, like dumped all their stocks after they got briefed about COVID-19. So nailed it. 
In this case, though, I think it's the hedge fund manager that inspired Jude Law to do all of this because the hedge fund manager is like, you have your finger on the pulse. What stocks are going to go up in this catastrophe? You know, things are going to happen in this catastrophe. We're not trying to profiteer off of it. We're not going to make things worse for people. But since there's going to be a run on the market of things, where should we put our money to maximize profit? And I think that's when Alan gets the idea that he's going to just plant this false story about this fake drug. And again, so close to reality, there's a freaking, what do you call those vitamin salesman people in our town who owns one of these vitamin stores. He says he's doctor so-and-so. I don't know what he's a doctor of. But when COVID started hitting, he's like, our drugs can promote immunity against all types of diseases, maybe corona. It's like, you son of a bitch. I mean, there is actual snake oil proposed by, again, government officials. It goes all the way to the top. The televangelist, Jim Baker, you know, Jim and Tammy Faye, like, he is on TV right now. I think they may have actually gotten to him by this point, but selling a silver solution that supposedly will kill COVID. Yes, there are always going to be people that look at a terrible, tragic situation and go, good, I can make money. And again, when we see Alan promoted around San Francisco, there's these posters that look like the Fairy Shepherd posters of, of Obama. The Hope, if you remember that old... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Who, who could forget that one? Yeah, I mean, it is a classic, but it has been a while since Obama. But yeah, they'll call him a prophet with a PH. Yeah, maybe he saw the thing that was going to work, or maybe he's just profiteering. It remains a question mark through much of this movie whether he's got a point about how bad the CDC is. But he's convinced the pharmaceutical companies and the CDC are just terrible people. And yeah, maybe he believed at one point for Scythia Works. Well, they're going to reveal at the end. He never had the disease, though. Like, he faked it all. He's been walking around in his homemade bubble suit, and yeah, he never got infected. Yes. I also also like that like the details of San Francisco again you talk about how a lot of this is just we're going to cut back to something and then you, you got to read what's going on to see what the story is between the lines and just when you see that garbage piling up again just another sign of societal breakdown I do feel like the San Francisco stuff Soderbergh was really thinking about the 1978 version of Body Snatchers that was taking place it is kind of a virus movie it's also an alien invasion movie why we didn't include it but it has these properties when he's talking to the hedge fund manager it's at the the exact same spot where the the famous ending of that movie takes place. But one of the other ethical lapses has a Venn diagram with Alan, and that is Sheever. And they're going to have a confrontation on the news because it's going to come out that Sheever told his fiance, get out of Chicago. Don't tell anyone I told you this, but get out of Chicago. Then, of course, the fiance is going to be like, don't tell anyone I told you this, but (laughs) that never works. Yeah. And you can't blame anyone. The part that really pulled on my heartstrings is overhearing him make this call as this janitor. And we saw this janitor interact with him at the beginning. Like he wants to get an ADHD doctor or something for his kid. And he's like, I'm not that kind of doctor. But, you know, you're going to have this janitor who's always like, hey, don't forget about me. Like the little guy and the fact that he overhears that call, like that made me feel for that dude. I don't think he's the source of the leak, though. No, no, it is the friend of the wife who leaked yes, it. Yes, who's going to get in the car, but she can't just get in the car and do what he says. She has to explain why she's canceling on dinner with her friend. And of course, that's a string of dominoes. Of course, that's going to set it all off. And of course, she's stopped to stock up on bottled water and batteries and hoarding all those essential supplies while she's on the phone with her friend. But when Alan and Sheever come together, 
they're on this news program and my jaw hit the ground. Are you guys familiar with Dr. Sanjay Gupta? Sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I recognize. He's usually on CNN. He's one of the few TV doctors I trust right now. Yeah. To me, he's the Wolf Blitzer of Corona. You know, Wolf Blitzer was the CNN guy who brought us all the stuff on the first Iraq war. He was right in the middle of it and the most trusted voice. To me, Dr. Sanjay Gupta is the voice of Corona. I'm watching CNN a lot. And so when they say Dr. Gupta, I'm like, is that really? It is Dr. Sanjay Gupta playing Dr. Sanjay Gupta. Contagion, nine years before he'd become a CNN superstar, talking about a contagion. Right. And what are they talking about? They're talking about Vorsythia, again, the hydrochloroquine of this movie is like, (laughs) does it work? Does it not? The CDC is saying what they're saying about Trump's drug. We're not sure yet. We can't really measure. Let's not jump to conclusions. And of course, to the blogger, that just looks like, oh, you're backpedaling. You won't even tell people how many have died. His conspiratorial mind will always see the worst. Yeah, he's causing riots at pharmacies because everyone's lining up to get this stuff. And they're like, we only have 50 doses. And eventually he's even going to get robbed. People thinking he has Forsythia in his refrigerator. The thing that disgusts me the most about the Alan character is that he is real and he's living on YouTube. And he is making bullshit up that even he doesn't believe about Corona just to get the hits and maybe to get a sponsorship or invest somewhere. But these conspiracy theorists and their fake news is everywhere and it becomes so much noise. It's impossible to tell real news from fake news and people who aren't all that bright believe whatever conspiracy theory tugs at their heartstrings more than their brains. But it also should be said, part of the reason why we believe people like that is because it is hard to trust a government source all the time. Like the CDC has done unethical things and has screwed up pandemics. And so there's always reason to believe the other one. Like I do think it's just a part of human nature. It's why we've lasted so long, quite frankly, is we don't believe monolithically. We believe some people and then other people believe other people. And for that reason, we've always got some that are going to be protected from whatever truth is being peddled. But that's where you need corroboration and not just believing whatever voice you hear on the Internet. Oh, yeah. Believe me, I'm not going to advocate we need to listen to the bloggers right now. Although, are we bloggers? Like, we're, we're better than putting out graffiti. We're a podcast. Yeah, that's different. totally different. We don't have to bother with punctuation. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. I don't think Mitch does too much bad, but his one moral lapse is he does break into the neighbor's apartment after he hears them getting robbed. Isn't that the neighbor who was murdered? I don't know if anyone was home. He called. He didn't really explore if there's a body somewhere. Well, he's looking at the house and there's gunshots going off. So I I assumed, yeah, whoever was there was murdered. And I guess they didn't find the neighbor's gun so he could go in and get it. I thought it might be a suicide when I heard gunshots. I mean, maybe it's a sick person who can't get help. And Yeah. Again, around this time, we're seeing riots at the pharmacy. There's a store on fire. And Mitch is like, there's no fire department to even put out this fire. So I, I'm just assuming the worst at this point. Mm-hmm. And while he's doing that, the daughter's sneaking out the back, making snow angels with Andrew. Like, you can relate to this. Like, I think everyone does at this point. Like, if you got kids in the house, they're not thinking about this problem with the seriousness that the parent is going to. I I mean, you wouldn't expect that. <laughs> Look at Florida's beaches. Yeah. yeah. Our kids have play dates, but they're all on Zoom right now. You know what? I am seeing in the neighborhood, like parents just letting their kids play with each other. Like I, they are social distancing, but kids here are not at all, which is, I would think that they would be a major carrier. The parents in your neighborhood are not indicative of all parents. <laughs> Clearly. Yes. Hopefully. 
But anyway, the final lapse is the one that saves us all. Dr. Hextall, Jennifer Eel, becomes her own human trial. She has followed this, watched it mutate, seen that it's going to take months and months and months to test and find the right thing. What we're all feeling right now, why haven't they come up with something? We hear these rumors of like, well, maybe this works, but it'll be a year before we know for sure. She's just going to be like, you know what? I want to see my dad. He's sick. He's dying. It's Christmas. This is probably our last moments together. And this rhesus monkey is well, so maybe it works. I'm just going to inject it into my leg and go out and see. And yet I'm actually with Alan at this point because he's like, this vaccine, it could cause autism or narcolepsy 10 years from now. The swine flu vaccine killed people back in 76. And this is what I'm fearing the most is the public, capital P, is so demanding we return to normal and hearing that it needs a vaccine that our government will rush a vaccine for COVID out without knowing its long-term effects. I do not want to be the first vaccinated for COVID. Arnie, I'll give you this. I'm never going to be on Alan's side of this movie, but that is something that I've thought about. Like we're rushing to get a vaccine and usually have decades of, of trials and, and to see what the effects are. And that is a legit concern when this vaccine may eventually come out for COVID-19. Like we are going to rush it out and there may be dangers 10, 20, 30 years down the line. We're all guinea pigs in the end. I mean, I feel like the truth of the matter is certainly now that this novel virus has gotten out, we're just experimenting on ourselves. And it's great that you brought that up because Salk did exactly what she did. He bypassed the proper trials and just put it right into kids. And people were like, oh my God. So there were consequences to that. But he eradicated polio. The immediate problem was removed. And that is the point. And maybe there's a little bit of God in this too, because it's all happening on Christmas. And she put her faith in this. And so if you're a believer, then this feels credible. I didn't read it that way. This is another moment along with that hostage storyline where I'm like, okay, I guess we got to move the story along. It seems to move very fast. Like she injects herself and yep, we're good to go. I had forgotten about her much like I forget about Orantes during this part of the movie. I'd forgotten about Hextall for a while until she showed up again and starts injecting herself. I'm like, oh yeah, there are so many people in this movie. It's impossible to keep track of all of them mentally as you watch. You just have to have recognition but not recall for all these people. Yeah, well, it's not a TV series. It's not spread out over 9, 10, 12 episodes. In a two-hour movie, we see the people when we need to see them. No scene is wasted. I feel like it's so economical. It would be annoying just to see Arantis crying like in a cage handcuffed or something like I don't I need to see her when there's a development worth taking note of and now that we've reached act three and we have a cure it isn't over I mean I think this is another lesson we're learning about COVID-19 is then there's dealing with the world afterwards how are we going to distribute this cure who's going to get it at what rate because we can't just magically give everyone a hypodermic right away when they show a lottery by birthday I'm like yeah that's exactly how they'll probably do it yeah, I'm wondering. The idea of going back into a public space with a wristband and you scan it and that tells you that you have the cure, that feels ingenious to me. Like, I hope that we can pull that off. 
Yeah, except a lot of Christians are worried. If you've read the book of Revelation, the mark of the beast, you can't shop without it. Like this is, again, where a lot of Allen conspiracy theories come in that this will be the mark of the beast, that you're clear of COVID-19 and you're allowed to shop. And if you don't have that bracelet, you won't be able to. I hadn't heard that, but I do believe that much like people are refusing to wear masks, people will refuse to wear wristbands. And I don't think it would be by lotto because, as you mentioned before, Stuart, COVID isn't as deadly. It's a 3% death rate. I imagine it would go kind of like when there are shortages of the influenza vaccine. Many years, there are shortages of those. You give them to the people most at risk. You give them to the frontline healthcare workers. You give them to the elderly and things like that. And the younger and healthier get them last. That's how I think it will probably go because it's not a, we have to get the COVID vaccine or die. Well, we know those in power will get it first, and we see that with Cheevers. He gets his own special vaccine for him and his wife. Well, not even his wife yet. I love the fact that they're still planning to get married. He's not married to the woman in this? No, that was kind of all the, like, he took a risk on someone. Yeah, she had a different last name. And yeah, if you listen to the dialogue at the very end, he's still inviting Brian Cranston to the wedding, even though Brian Cranston is going to prosecute him for these yes. lapses, which is just... <laughs> oh, okay. I didn't catch that. <laughs> Again, the ironies are sometimes funny. And Brian Cranston's working with Enrico Colantoni. I never thought we'd have two Enrico Colantoni films in such close proximity, but he was the murderer in AI, and here he is again. Yeah, we haven't released AI yet, but uh, you know who this is. I have no idea who this actor is. Yeah, I don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> He's probably best known these days for Veronica Mars, but I know him as Malthazar from Galaxy Quest, as well as I really came to know him on that David Spade TV show, Just Shoot Me. Oh, okay. I know who you're talking about now. Nope, nothing. Yeah, the bald guy? Yep, bald guy. Yeah, okay, <laughs> yep, I know who you're talking about. <laughs> but here's the thing. All right, yes, he's exploiting his power. Yes, yet again, he hasn't learned a damn thing because he's going out on a limb for a woman he's not even married to. But he's also going to think about that janitor. He does, I think, give his own one to that kid. Yeah, which makes me wonder if he'll ever get it now because everybody thinks he has it. Yeah, he doesn't give it to the janitor, but that son that that janitor was talking about. And I was wondering, did, did he, I guess it's his girlfriend. Did he give that guy his girlfriend's dose or his dose? Whose dose did he give him? No, no, the girlfriend is seen next. We definitely see her take it up the nostril. Like she has immunity, but he... He's already getting pulled in front of a hearing. He could just say, hey, I lost that one. Can I get another one? Like yeah. just another charge to bring up against me, whatever. <laughs> yeah, you might be right on that. But I like to look at it as here's a character that has morally learned something. Has he learned something? Because he says he'd do the exact same thing. Okay, yes. But I'm saying he is thinking about people more. And that is the lesson that I'm hoping we can emerge. If there's a silver lining to everything we're going through, the world before was not perfect. Perhaps we emerge with more sensitivity and more love for our fellow man. It's certainly the storyline that they try to give Arantis. I'm hearing you guys don't like it, but I like the fact that when we finally catch up with her and she's been in this village, she's actually learned to be compassionate. You know, when she found out that that guy, her assistant, his mother died, she was like, oh, that's too bad. Anyway, I gotta go. She was unfeeling. And now she cares about these kids because she's had that social contact with them. She cares about a community that otherwise would have been a statistic on a page. AKA Stockholm Syndrome? Well, I mean, you could look at it that way. I, I won't say you're wrong. I, I choose not to. I choose to look at it as that her time in quarantine has taught her something that she would not have seen otherwise. 
Well, I mean, that's always the case. If you get corona and die, I'll care because I've known you a long time. But if I read in the newspaper, someone gets corona and die, that's a statistic. Here, she's gotten to know those people. But does that mean she's going to care about every village in the world? No. I mean, she does what? Walk away from the WHO once she finds out that they gave this village placebos instead of the vaccine yeah i mean i get that as a choice i mean it's very pat like it's very simple like they don't know exactly how to wrap this up there is some shorthand going on here throughout this movie but the point is if you're not going to care for all people there can't be some kind of equitable distribution like the lottery which is random you know you just whoever it's by birthday you're not because you're rich not because of who you are or where you live birthday that's she's thinking about a community that would never get the cure frankly Again, these are aspirational things that I'm hoping for and wanting to see. I like the message of hope. In a movie that's pretty grim, I like these storylines. They warm my heart. You know, I kind of like that uh, Alan, you know, he gets arrested. They get him. It's very satisfying that they have this sting and he gets arrested. But, but his 12 minute crazy is post bail for him. Yeah, he's going to get out anyway. And should we trust the CDC? They're taking this virus. They're putting it in deep freeze. That's a whole controversial thing. Like, should we keep smallpox around? Should we keep all these things? And who has the right to those keys? I think we always look at power with suspicion. And maybe that's not even a bad thing. It does feel like that shot where they're putting this MEV-1 on ice. Like, that is that sinister moment. It does remind me of that bad Andromeda Strain remake where they put it on the satellite. I was going to bring that up. I I wanted to forget that. (laughs) But of course, like, the biggest heart tugger is... The do-it-yourself prom, right? Which is going on, yeah. It's amazing. Like, maybe not to you two's all I want is you, but I, you know what? I'm welling up during the scene. It hits me. It hit me too. That actually was my wedding song, so I, it was a double whammy for me. Did you think when Mitch got found that camera and was going through Beth's business trip photos, like there was going to be a picture of that boyfriend she had on the side in Chicago? Like I I was waiting for something really dark to happen. She's not that dumb. I rewound because when he starts crying, I'm like, did he see a photo of the boyfriend? I missed it. I had to rewind to see if that's what made him start crying. But no, it was just missing his cheating wife. Yeah, again, this whole movie, he was told, what happened to her? I've been angry. You know, anger is a mask for fear. He hasn't allowed himself to be vulnerable. During all of this time, he had to fight so hard to protect the daughter. He never grieved for this woman. And seeing those photos, it all comes flooding back. What was lovely about her, obviously, the way that she's posing and being silly in some of those shots, you can imagine that she was good in some... There were good times to be had and to treasure. And a lot of emotion is going to happen here in this moment. It's just a great way to bring it all back to Gwyneth Paltrow and the question about day one. What happened? How did she get infected? The message seems to be we do it to ourselves, right? It's aim Alderson's bulldozer that knocks down the bat habitat. Yeah, whether it's wet markets or we're destroying habitats and animals are having to go into new places and mixing with other animals they haven't been to before, like whatever the shorthand is, we do have a hand in that. Yeah, and again, yeah, it's not about blaming individuals. It's not blaming about countries or all of that. It just, it's not even that we've done something wrong. It's just that we're so trained to always want more and more in our social contact and the consumption of it all has repercussions. What else can you say? But ultimately, yes, our need to consume means tearing down this habitat, means bat and... It's not shit. It dropped some kind of nut or something, maybe, on the pig. Is that what it was? I couldn't really tell. No, I think it's a banana because we see the bat stealing part of a banana and then dropping it in the pig pen. 
Okay, yeah. And then, of course, pigs go to market. And this chef that was in the photos with Gwyneth Paltrow, he was at the casino carving up the pig. You get called. A very important person is here and you got to go talk to him. No time to wash your hands. This happens all the time. Important people, they don't have time for anything else. You're on their time. And so he goes out there, wipes his hand on the apron and whammo. It's not even Gwyneth's fault. It's the damn cook. Well, again, blame is a sticky situation. Again, I like the way that this movie shows it's really systemic. It's in our culture to take shortcuts, and those shortcuts may kill us. So, Jacob Stewart, do you recommend Contagion? Jacob. Whenever I'm getting ready to watch a movie for now playing, like one of my girls, if not both of them, I, I think they just want to watch a movie instead of have to do homework or something. But they'll just start saying, oh, what do you have to watch? What is it about? And so, you know, I'm telling my nine-year-old, oh, it's about the Rona, like all these virus movies we're doing. And they're all about, you know, viruses that get out. And then she kind of went from there. She's like, well, do you think they'll ever make a movie about the coronavirus? I'm like, oh, I'm sure they'll have tons in the future. They'll, they'll have horror movies and thrillers and dramas and more scientific ones. Like, There's so many possible stories that, that are coming out of these times. And then I watched Contagion. And I'm like, oh, they already made the movie about the coronavirus. Like this movie was shocking to me how much they got right. And now I get why everyone around the world is watching this film. Like, I don't know if you guys have seen this speech that Bill Gates gave about five years at a TED talk where he said, here's what we need to do to get ready for the next pandemic. Of course, we didn't do any of that stuff. And here we are like. People were warning us about this. And so to me, this movie now, it is a horror movie. It's probably just a thriller before, but this movie is scary to me now because we don't know how this is going to play out. Can it go as extreme as some of the storylines in this? Who knows? But yeah, this is a really effective movie for anyone living through these times. And I think even before that, yeah, it's a good thriller. The way that you're able to take all these storylines and put them together is basically a montage movie. Like, you know, you have your five storylines, you're just skipping around doing these beats, hitting them all. And to, you put it all together, it makes a really effective thriller that, yeah, super strong recommend for Contagion. Stuart. Yeah, I'm going to repeat what I said at the beginning. Best movie about viruses ever. Like, made it into the book. And I loved it. And again, I saw this movie at a time where I never thought I would be living it. I saw it purely as just being able to take all the best stuff about all the other virus movies and putting it together in a new way. It mutates the whole genre into something that is just mind-expanding. The fact that they were able to get the drama. There are times in this where I'm crying. There are times in this the pulse is quickening. And yet they never have Dustin Hoffman leaping on to a boat you know like it never gets stupid action and yet i'm never bored it the acceleration of it all the so many different guessing games about who's going to make it who's not i mean it's just so captivating the fact that it's proven to be so prophetic and accurate in the COVID 19 times is just proof that yeah this movie was underrated in 2011 nobody really understood how serious this message was and i don't think we needed to learn it this way but i'm really glad that soderbergh's one of his finest movies is finally being seen by masses i think it's better than traffic i think he's gotten better as a filmmaker in putting these things together from that movie which i liked by the way but this is again one of his finest films and one that yeah, relates to anyone alive today can relate to what's going on in this movie. Highest of recommends. Three for three on extremely strong recommends. When I saw this movie back probably 2012, it was very effective because I kept hearing scientists say it's not a question of if a massive virus like in the stand is going to come around, but when. 
much like the doomsday rock asteroid that's going to eventually hit Earth and cause extinction that keeps me up at night, so did the thought of a pandemic that would kill most life on Earth. And so it was a scary concept before it happened. But it's also just a remarkably well-made film that has a large ensemble cast and juggles it very well and doesn't sacrifice personal story, which is needed for good drama, in service of the Contagion story, which was the Andromeda Strain's downfall, in my mind. The 70s one, the 2008 one, had so many downfalls. Yeah, but- there, was no, there was no upswing <laughs> on that one. But it is clearly the best virus movie I've ever seen, the best of this entire series we've been doing by a mile, and if you watch it today, there's no way you can't watch it and think about the things that are happening in daily life, again, down to the point of seeing TV personalities in this movie as themselves discussing pandemics and hearing terms like social distancing... I just got to know, do they start off in these troubled times? Like every email I get from a corporation? <laughs> you mean uncertain or unprecedented? Yeah, there's like four yeah. adjectives they always use about these goddamn times. But yeah, even without it, I thought it was an incredible film. And now with it, honestly, I think COVID may suck some of the joy out of watching this film. Because it was a great thriller, but now you watch it and it just hits a little too close to home, right? But at the same time, like, unlike Outbreak, which I feel terrible that people are going to watch hoping to learn something, like, I think you can learn something from watching. I do think it's educational. It is. But it, again, I just think it hits close to home in a not-so-fun way, whereas I thought this movie clicked as well as Ocean's Eleven as far as, you know, not funny, but just a well-paced ensemble kind of thriller film. But now I watch it and I can't get today's headlines out of my mind. See that you're one of those voters. You're like the Oscar voter that wouldn't give this movie its due in 2011 because it wasn't (laughs) serious. It was just a fun little lark. No, it was an important movie. Always was. I felt it was then. I'm just saying. You're not going to have a barrel of laughs. I get that. It's not entertainment in the same way. So it is a super strong recommend if you see one virus film. See this one, but you probably already have based upon its surge in popularity. Yeah, I think everyone on the planet should. I mean, again, how often do you say that about a movie? But here's something everyone can relate to and learn from and I think connect with. Unless you're a conspiracy theory blogger, you're not going to like how you're depicted. Well, again, I think Alan has some, sympathy's not quite right, but I think he has some valid points. He scores a few anyway. And I'm sure they'd all like to think they're as attractive as Jude Law. (laughs) not in this movie (laughs) but anyway yeah just ranking it obviously this one is the best i was happy to go through the whole thing again it was really interesting to think about the way viruses mutate in movies i think the second best one panic in the streets was the first one i did enjoy that one as well i think i like them all the truth of the matter is given my background and my interest in disease and immunology and all of that I, i just feel like even bad ones, I'll see. Like, I'll always watch a virus movie. But the ones that you definitely should see, Contagion, Panic in the Streets, and why not go with the first Andromeda Strain and Warning Sign if you're really bored? Yeah, that's kind of how my ranking is. Contagion, Panic the Streets, Andromeda Strain. Those are the ones to see. Warning Sign, I didn't recommend it, but if you want a goofy kind of zombie movie. And then, yeah, the, the real, you know, you got Outbreak, which is kind of just a goofy action film. And then The Satan Bug, which beat out Andromeda Strain 2008. 
because I like the automatic doors they spent so much money on in Satan Bug more than anything in that TV movie. Interesting criteria, but I get what you mean. Look, name something better than those doors in Andromeda Strain 2008. There's nothing. <laughs> maybe the pot smokers in the desert. Maybe yeah, that one scene. It was terrible. I agree with you. All three of those to me are just losers. And for me, the only one I really strongly endorse and say beyond recommend to go see the film is this one Contagion. Then second rank, like you guys, was Panic in the Streets. Then I'm going to get controversial. Outbreak? Because <laughs> Outbreak and Andromeda Strain 72. Wait, wait. You were, you were putting Outbreak above the first Michael Crichton one. Yeah. Did you listen to my review of Andromeda Strain? You liked both. I got the sense that you had a passing appreciation and problems with both. Correct. Yeah, but that helicopter chase is way cooler than the lasers. <laughs> <laughs> is it? I kind of like the, I don't know. Anyway, we've hashed it out. Okay, well, that's the way you feel. <laughs> then warning sign is even worse than either of those. But then in the best of the worst, Andromeda Strain's remake was better than Satan Bug. What? That is, that. is That's the biggest controversy right there. <laughs> I mean, that's a coin flip. Satan Bug was so nonsensical and stupid. So and was Andromeda Strain 2008, but it didn't have cool doors like Satan's Bug. Yeah, I kind of agree. <laughs> From an art direction standpoint, I appreciated the 60s decor way more than that cheap CGI. Yeah, I, I go with that 60s over the 2008 TV set any day. Yeah, that CGI just looks awful. Give me Benjamin Brad over whoever was in that movie any day. Nope. Sorry, Benjamin, you're you're still at the bottom. <laughs> Take them both, frankly. Anyway, we are done for now. It's time to get back to a series that we haven't had a chapter of, an installment. We what's well, been half a year probably since we've looked at Stephen King and Misery. You got no new movies coming out, so why not get back to Stephen King? Hey, didn't you guys hear? Even during this pandemic, down in Australia, they found a way to socially distance while still filming the remake of Children of the Corn. Oh, oh shit. Wow, that, that's coming <laughs> hell or high water or coronavirus. We're getting another corn film. I thought you were saying the stand remake that they were working on. That would be more appropriate, but okay. All right, Children of the Corn 11. Why not? Not <laughs> worth dying for whatever actors are in that film. <laughs> They're calling it a reimagining of Children of the Corn. Mm -hmm. I'm imagining how good that a reimagining is. But right now we're dealing with another stinker. As far as memory serves, I never made it through more than half of night one of the ABC miniseries of Tommyknockers. And I didn't make it through the book either. I tried so hard for both. I don't remember much about it. I remember Jimmy Smith's. Yes. I remember Tracy Lord's. So <laughs> it's going to be a trip. I hope I can get through the book this time because I've also tried repeatedly to do that book and failed. We'll find out if I can actually finish it this time. And then we're going to do the book afterwards, Dark Half. And after that, we're going to get into a new series. Doesn't happen that much, but we've had a patron donate for it and we thought... Why not? The book's reviews begin this week, and then in three weeks, we're going to get to Escape from New York. And yeah, I think you buried the lead on that, Stuart. Books and Nachos is back. <laughs> yes. Six weeks of Books and Nachos. There's a lot of... Ex Jason, who is our PR guy behind the scenes, he's going to be joining me. He's a super fan of this series. So me and him, we sat down. We're going to review the novelization. We're going to review a bunch of comics, including a Big Trouble in Little China, Escape from New York crossover. So yeah, over on Books and Nachos, six weeks of John Carpenter, Snake Plissken, and escaping from various cities. 
So for everyone who wanted some quarantine nachos, and there were a lot of Facebook posts about it, you're going to get six doses as we try to escape from New York. Well, that's terrific. I can't wait. And I'm glad I'm not doing that. It's too much work. (laughs) Because we got other series like Tom Cruise. That is coming to an end as well this week with Born on the 4th of July. Join us this Friday at Gold Level and we'll cover his bid for an Oscar. You can find all the details about how to hear those shows and support our podcast at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. But that's not the only thing we've got going on this Friday. We are really honestly humbled by the response to our hot mic commentary on Friday the 13th part 8 and since there's no movies seemingly coming out this summer we're going to have the now playing summer movie social (laughs) yeah I know out here it's a popular thing or it was a popular thing before coronavirus to have you know a a big screen out in the park every Friday and watch a movie and yeah we're gonna do that not every Friday but I think close to every Friday we're doing it a lot and I'm excited Yeah, I get to kick it off, or if you don't count, Jason Takes Manhattan is sort of the tentative kickoff, but yeah, the season begins with Godzilla 1998. Why that? Yeah, well, you know, it's summer. It will be the 22nd anniversary of the film. I have very distinct memories of the weekend in which I saw it, and since we have covered King Kong recently and those Godzilla movies were building up to King Kong versus Godzilla... We're never covering this on the main feed, so why not get our thoughts out about, yeah, Roland Emmerich, Matthew Broderick, and whoever the hell that chick was that I think God's on <laughs> at the end of the movie. No career for you. You know, Godzilla versus King Kong was supposed to be out already this year, so yeah, at least we can give people their Godzilla fix on Friday night. And I think we're doing it about every other Friday through the summer. And Godzilla is right now available on Netflix. We are choosing movies that you can find available either on Netflix or on Amazon Prime, at least in the U.S. International listeners, get your VPNs ready. (laughs) So that way a lot of people can watch along with us and not have to buy the movie because God wants to buy Godzilla 98. (laughs) Yeah, to be clear, my memory is it's a bad film, but I'm not going in with a brick bat. Like, I'd like to be wrong. I'd like to think there were a lot of reasons why I thought it was terrible and they had nothing to do with the movie. So I'll be trying to take a fresh look uh, all these years later and see if there's something about a character that I do love uh, having this kind of reception in 1998. Yeah, I remember a character I love being good in that movie, being Jean Reno. That's all I remember liking was Jean Reno was in it. But that will be this Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. I know there's a lot of questions about time zones. You can Google it and find out what time that is for you. But 9 p.m. Eastern Time in the United States on Hot Mic. You just download that app. When you sign up, put in code NOWPLAYING, all one word, all uppercase. Then you can follow us on there. And join us live. There's a chat room there. And Jacob, Stewart, I, Justin, Marjorie, Brock. Who knows who's going to show up? (laughs) We can't say all six of us are going to be there every week this summer, but it's going to be most of us most weeks. So we hope you can join us too. And so Jacob, Stewart, thank you guys. I'm glad we made it through this series without any of us actually coming down with COVID. And my tests were negative and none of us ended up so sick that we had to call in an understudy, which we did worry about early on. Yes, and just thinking about our listeners, please stay safe. I don't feel, just do it for me. Wash your hands, stay indoors, socially distance. The threat is still out there. 
It is indeed. Watch this movie, and then I doubt you'll really want to not wear that mask. So thank you for listening to us as we became topical for a while. (laughs) And now we hope you stick with us as we go back into pure entertainment with Stephen King and John Carpenter. And yes, please stay healthy. We hope you and your family are doing well. And until next time, remember to wear that mask and wash your hands. And if you're a cook, really, wash those fucking hands. (laughs) We may never know where this disease came from, but we do know that this vaccine is a result of the courage and perseverance of a remarkable few. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Mine was great, thanks. Come back to nowplayingpodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. Who says? The internet. The internet, and you believe it. Also at our site, you can find hundreds of other movie reviews, including Star Wars, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Independence Day, The Avengers Films, Back to the Future, Batman, Superman, The Fast and the Furious, and more. Print media is dying, Lorraine. It's dying. Now Playing Podcast is a show without any sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to keep Now Playing operating. Should I call someone? Call everyone. You can donate to the show and, as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Over 150 bonus movie reviews are available to choose from on the Now Playing Podbean page, including Alien, Night of the Living Dead, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, Psycho, Troll, and more. So it's an epidemic now. An epidemic of what? Find a full list of available bonus shows at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. So instead we lose spring, we lose summer, we lose another 144 days that don't happen again. You can also join the Now Playing patron campaign through our Podbean site. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month. Plus, even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our hosts to review. Find the details on our website. Okay, let's get some help. You can help us out by leaving us a five-star review on Stitcher, Podbean, iTunes, or your other podcast store of choice. I'll save you a seat on the bus. You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. But right now, our best defense has been social distancing. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. You want to talk to me, call my office and make an appointment. Associate produced by Jason Latham. Doesn't anybody help him? Is he okay? Read the posts. Now Playing is edited by Arnie. If you find yourself wide awake, staring at the walls at 3 a.m. wondering why you took the job, call me. Now playing credits, read by Brock. I'm a trusted man, stepping up to a microphone in front of a very large crowd. 
The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. If I could throw your computer in jail, I would. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. Dr. Sussman, I heard that they were shutting us down. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. The only reason we're not taking this to the Attorney General is because we can't replace you right now, but there's going to be an investigation. Do you understand that? Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Venganza Media Incorporated. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2020, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Hope you feel better, Clark, okay? Okay. Starring Marion Cotillard. Cotillard, that's who you're starting Cotillard, with? Cotillard, yeah. I'm going in, in order of the poster. Okay. <coughs> Croomweed? Is that right? These names. I, I, sure. British. Yeah, I'm not sure on that one. <coughs> you're going to get six doses as we try to escape from New York. Well, that's terrific. I can't... <laughs> I'm just hit puberty. Um. <coughs> so, Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me. And until next time, be sure to wear your PPE. Yeah, you know me. <coughs> 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 <coughs>